Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown with Angie Setzer. Angie, how are you doing this morning? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. All right, so this weekend I was watching uh, U.S. Farm Report and they had a roundtable down there in Louisville and they were talking about, and this is something I never really paid much attention to and never put the two together because of the hog situation that's in China right now, but they were talking about how China was just flat not going to buy anywhere between 10 to 12 percent of the soybeans they would buy anyway just because of the, the situation with the hog. So talk about that a little bit and, and where you see that headed. It's obviously a concern. I mean, you can't talk about being bullish U.S. hogs because of pork exports to China and not recognize that the Chinese feeder, you know, is going to have less mouths to feed. Now, obviously, you know, how long is it going to take them to find a vaccine that works? How long is it going to take them to stop the spread of the disease? How long, you know, will it take for them to get back to where they can rebuild population? are going to be all of the things that influence what actual long-term soybean demand looks like. So it's easy right now to say, okay, if, if they don't have the hogs, if, if the, the hog population is wiped out, then obviously they're not going to be feeding soybean meal. Very true, right? But how long will it take for us to see that uh, population recovery you know, take place? So, And on top of that, if we do see a bullish hog setup, domestically speaking, maybe we don't export our soybeans to China to feed we keep them right here and crush uh, more and, and use more meal. But it's been something that I've been kind of trying to point out for a while now, or, or I've at least been talking about. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to think I'm, I'm powerful enough to be like, listen to me, you know. But I, it's been something that we've been talking about where we have seen imports to China or imports in China of soybeans you know, kind of gradually move quite a bit lower here. December and January both were down, I think, 5 to 7% each month. So that's huge. And a lot of people are saying, well, it's because of the trade war. Well, it's a rudimentary sort of solution. You know, oh, well, the trade wars happened, so China's not importing soybeans. You know, maybe that has um, some some legs to it. But the biggest concern I have is, is twofold when it comes to future imports, you know, and, and Chinese imports, I guess you could say. The first being, have they realized that they don't need to feed the amount of meal that they've been feeding before? Because we have had that conversation where they allowed or reviewed the protein needs in their rations and have allowed them to lower the amount of soybeans and and other protein sources that they've been using. So that's one. And then two, is the Chinese hog herd that much smaller to where they're not feeding? So those are two things that could have long-term implications and are important to pay attention to. Um, But like I said, the easiest thing for the media right now and, and, you know, folks that don't necessarily understand all of the tiny pieces that kind of uh, move when it comes to developing a supply and demand um, summary, you know, those types of people are just easily saying, well, it's the trade war. Right. Because then it gets this false idea that if the trade war is solved, we see China go back to those old numbers. That's not necessarily the case. And it's something that we really have to be careful, you know, to 
to uh, not hang our hat on, I guess you could say. Yeah. Okay, so on that same front, uh, yesterday there was an article out on Bloomberg talking about China buying $30 billion worth of uh, ag, ag-related ag products, you know, corn, wheat, soybeans, there was you know, all kinds of stuff. And yeah. just like every other article, it was, yeah, you are, but no, we're, no, we're not. We didn't say anything like yeah. that. So yeah. what was the market's reaction to, to that, and, and, and what do you feel, how do you feel, you know, we're coming, we're almost to that March 1st deadline. And we're almost to that point where it's getting to be, hey, you know what, we're we're either we're going to or we're not going to. Yeah. What's your feel right now with what you see happening out there? You know, I I think at this point in time, I'm trying to remain optimistic. Problem is that I've been remaining optimistic for what feels like ever. You know, I was a, oh, we're going to have a 4th of July resolution sort of uh, person throughout the month of June, and, and here we are, you know. Right. So I could be right. We could have a 4th of July resolution, just 2019, not 2018. Don't right. know. Um, but at this point in time, it looks as though, you know, we're really going to see, um, we're seeing some sort of effort, right. um, at least. We have a memorandum of understanding, so that's a framework of what we're trying to work around, you know, and it depends on which headline you read. One headline says that we're far away from having any sort of agreement, but we, we know what we need to work on, but we just don't know how to get there. Um, the other side says, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be a good thing. Bloomberg did come out yesterday and say that we had um, you know, we have the, the potential there for China to increase their ag imports by 30 billion bushel from the U.S. Uh, value of ag, ag imports prior to the trade war was 20 billion. So they're saying in addition to that 20 billion. So we're looking at 50 billion bushel of potential ag exports in true trader fashion, or at least market analyst fashion. I mean, if you want to really uh, look at a glass half empty sort of thing, talk to a, a market analyst because they will find ways to tell you why something's going to go wrong. You know, they're saying there's no way we can export that much. Our infrastructure just won't allow it. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of agreement we come up with. A lot of folks are saying, hey, right now, um, you know, that we could see a significant significant increase in pork, beef, poultry, ethanol, corn, you know, and, and add that into what was being imported before. And those would all be new imports. So that would be bullish to a market structure as a whole. You know, and I've been one that's kind of said all along that any sort of trade resolution would benefit corn um, more than it would benefit um, soybeans. Right. So, you know, if, if that is the case, if we do see that happen, um, then yay, you know, <laughs> this whole entire thing's been worth right. it. Um, so I guess we'll have to see, you know, what happens. I'm trying to remain optimistic. Um, you know, and we definitely just need a resolution here sooner than later, but obviously we need to make sure that it's a resolution that is what we have been seek- you know, seeking out all along. Otherwise it's just been, you know, like the government shutdown where we did it and then we're mm-hmm. like, okay, why right. did we do it? You know? Right. Um, and so it'll be something that we want to watch me right now. I'm just like, okay, let's ink the 30 billion and then work on the other stuff. Cause I'd really like to have something, you know, <laughs> something work out in our favor here yeah. sooner than later, especially for corn and ethanol. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. So now we're, this winter is, we're having winter three months late. It feels like. So, I mean, yeah. we, we've got this, this weather pattern that's sink, sinking in long-term forecast show out to, you know, all the way through March and into April, we could look at some very, cold very wet planning planning time frames yeah where do you think the market's got with with building up a, a weather market by uh, selling or buying potential and, and where do you see that starting to shape up 
right now, I don't think there's any risk premium in corn. Um, I think everyone has this idea that we're going to see. The USDA came out yesterday and said 94 million, or excuse me, 92 million acres of corn, um, which is slightly below what everyone had been anticipating. There have been talk of up to 94 million acres here at the end of last year. Um, you know, based on what I'm hearing out there from farmers and agronomists and things like that, we needed, you know, basically to be into spring now or in the next couple of weeks in order to really have that opportunity to get the fall field work done that didn't get done. Um, you know, the every day that goes by that we remain in permanent winter um, is another day that we're not moving in hydrants, we're not doing field work, we're not doing all of these things that are required to put corn in the ground. Now, obviously, we can still plant corn, you know, and, and so that's, that's the question. Do we see 92 million with a reduced uh, um, yield number? Because I think the one thing that we've had in, in the reasonable springs here recently, at least in the, the springs where we've had a good amount of fall field work done and have been prepared to put corn in the ground, you know, we're able to pour the money on. We have time as our friend. All of these things to really kind of maximize that yield potential. And so now every day that goes by, you know, if we do see the 92 million, do we see the 176 yield that the USDA is predicting? You know, and so I, I don't think corn has the risk premium in place that it should. Now, some will argue that soybean risk premium is too high, that, you know, we're, we're a buck or two bucks higher than where we should be. I had been in that camp for quite some time. I'm not going to lie. And I'm not trying to flip-flop, you know, the old John Kerry thing. Remember when they held flip-flops up at his... Uh, uh, you know, a press conference or whatever. I'm not trying to do that. But the thing is, is that the more time we spend in this, you know, 890 to 965 $10 range, the more it tells me that maybe that's where the market feels comfortable right now with what we have. The world's very, a very different place than what it was in 26, 2006, you right. know. So right. as everyone goes back to 2006 and says, well, you know, this is the highest stocks to use ratio we've had since 2006. It's even higher than 2006. And in 2006, we were 480 futures. So we obviously have to lose $5. I don't know if that's the case. It's a different world. You know, we have China, we have India, we have all of these countries that are growing, emerging, becoming, you know, more of a modernized society. Um, does that change everything? You know, but that doesn't mean that we have to go to 1050. I'm just not necessarily in the mindset now that we have to go to seven, you right. know. Right. Um, now, obviously, if we see 89 million acres planted again and have a 50 bushel to the acre yield and don't resolve this trade issue or ASF spreads or, I mean, that's the problem with making guesses right now is you have a hundred different things that could happen to result in a hundred different, you know, endings, I right. guess you could say. Yeah. Um, we'll see what's going on, but I don't think the risk premium for corn is, is where it needs to be. I think for soybeans right now, it, it probably is. Right. Also, you could have a zombie apocalypse between now now and the end of planting season, and who knows right? where that's going to go, right? There's some days where I would rather have that. <laughs> right on. Right on. All right, Angie. Well, if folks want to reach out to you and ask you questions or pick your brain about what's going on in the markets, how would they do that? You can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain, or you can email me asetzer at citizenselevator.com. All right. Well, Angie, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you again next week. Yep, have a good one. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. 
The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. You'll be able to hear Dryline Farmer Podcast, Girls Talk Ag, the Top Soil Podcast, Ag News Daily, Working Cows, Heifer Please, Throwback Iron, and Ask Agnes. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron.